Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm really excited this week. We're going to be talking about one of my favorite television shows, Babylon 5, and how that show explored issues of telepathy and mind control and what it is that a society should do when people with powers start to emerge. Um, this is a show from uh, a number of years ago, but one that I think still has a lot of relevance for us today. Uh, and I'm also excited because uh, my guest today is Jacob. Um, Jacob, I'm not going to try and pronounce your last name. I'll leave that to you. Um, but Jacob is uh, a colleague of mine in the judge program of Magic the Gathering and someone who I know shares my love of this show uh, and also really enjoys using this show to talk about issues that, that are really dear to our hearts uh, and that matter a lot for us here on this podcast. So, Jacob, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I'm really excited to to talk about this particular topic. Uh, as you mentioned, I love the show. Last name is pronounced Malichich, and if Thank anybody <laughs> gets that right on the first try, I will give them a piece of candy. There you go. There you go. Awesome. Well, and so let's dive right in. I'm going to say from the beginning, um, obviously, as often happens on this show, uh, um, we're going to probably be spoiling a lot from the things we talk about, especially Babylon 5 today, but we'll also probably be getting into X-Men and some other things that are related. But I'm guessing that a lot of you haven't probably seen the show Babylon 5, um, something that uh, if you can, you can definitely find it because it's a great television show, although it hasn't aged terribly well. But but let's just start talking about giving a little introduction to the show itself. Um, Jacob, what what if you were to explain to someone in 20 seconds, what is Babylon 5? How, how would you do so? Well, I would say that Babylon 5 is a science fiction diplomatic space opera. Mm -hmm. And by diplomatic, I mean that the, the central portions of the plot of the show, like what, what's central to the show, is the conflict between different governments and different races. And it's all centered around the, the, the show is called Babylon 5 because the point of focus, the Babylon 5 station, was created to try to prevent uh, these civilizations from going to war with each other. It was actually made after the aftermath of a particularly cataclysmic war where one race was almost wiped out completely, right. uh, that race being the humans, actually. <laughs> yeah, that, one of the things that makes this show so great is there is so much backstory and history to the world as they explain it. Um, and, and, and it's uh, an important show in kind of like the history of science fiction on television because uh, we're now pretty used to that idea of non-episodic television and world building. This was really one of the first, along with DS9, which came out a little bit later, uh, to do that. So, um, and, and so it's definitely worth thinking about in those terms, and, and that's what we're going to be talking about it. Um, and so, Jacob, why, why for you is this a show you love so much? Like what, uh, especially in terms of like it, the things that makes you think about what? Why do you love this show? So, first of all, I actually really like a lot of the characters. Most uh, fiction that I consume. I end up latching onto if there are characters that I that I enjoy that I can latch onto and either identify with them, or I really like seeing them play in their sandbox. Uh -huh. uh, and Babylon Five scratches a lot of those itches, both with their protagonists, antagonists, and sort of side characters or one-off characters. Uh, and I guess I also really appreciate some of the science in the science fiction. It's um. It's somewhat well-researched yeah. in terms of, of how things work. There's some cool ideas, uh, like the fact that there's blue shifting and red shifting in the jump gates. I kind of geek out about that. <laughs> that's that's really cool I, to me. I remember when the show first came out, people went kind of crazy because this was the first show where space combat happened and the ships like turned on a dot. You know, they didn't swerve the way they would in air. 
they made kind of turns that actually make sense in a no atmosphere situation. Right. right. When you have thrusters, of course, there's still it still commits the cardinal sin of sound in a vacuum. Yeah. But that's, other than Firefly, that basically that happens in every show, I think. Even though Alien told us that in space no one can hear you scream, science fiction <laughs> writers haven't quite gotten that idea yet. Well, I mean, if you're trying to have these giant climactic space battles and you're going to do them sans sound, it sort of detracts from... Yeah. You know, we're used to getting those... We want, we want to hear the explosions, right? No, this is definitely true. And I think in all these shows, that question of like realism versus an entertaining show uh, is one that is always <laughs> going to come up. Um, and, and I know, Jacob, when you and I talked about this show, because I, 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 I'm like you, I love the um, I love this show more than anything because of the characters and because this show, I think, in, in some very specific ways, and at times a little bit ham-fisted, but at times very subtle ways, really tries to get you to think beyond the normal ideas of good and evil. Um, it really tries to play with, um, you know, who are the good guys, who are the bad guys, uh, and, and, and has you constantly over the five seasons changing your ideas uh, about who is right and wrong. And, and one of the issues that it brings up that I think it, it really wrestles with that so much is the psychor. Uh, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, because um, the core I think, is one of the central themes of the show, and it's one that really brings up a lot of ethical questions that I want to dive into. Um, so, again, using you as my uh, narrator for the day, what, what what's the core? So, in this postulated future, uh, telepathy exists. People, uh, some number of years ago, telepaths suddenly showed up on Earth. They, uh, there are these people who could read people's minds and, and had those kinds of traditional mental powers. People found out about it. Right. Uh, the Psychor was sort of the world governmental, world government's answer to how do we deal with these individuals and the possible right to privacy violation, human rights violations. How do we deal with these people that we find, you know, frankly scary? Their powers frighten us. We need to make sure that people know that their rights are being protected and that people feel safe. Uh, and then what they end up doing is they end up saying, if you're a telepath, this is, and by the way, this is just on Earth. This is how humans chose to deal with this problem because they're telepaths of other races. Right. But on Earth, they say, if you're a telepath, you have to either join the Psychor, so you have to be a part of this organization, or you have to go to prison, or you have to take these drugs called sleepers and the, the sleeper drugs actually are something they develop to inhibit people's telepathic abilities to the point where they're non-functional. Right. And, and when we say non-functional, we don't just mean that they are telepathically non-functional. We mean that they are pretty much non-functional as people. And one, yeah, there's a, oh, go on. Oh, you see, one of the things that the show really explores well, and I imagine this is what you were about to go into is, is this idea of that, that that's not an easy choice because obviously being in the psi core is a really difficult thing and, and very restrictive, but that taking these sleepers can pretty much destroy your life. And we have uh, one major character whose mother is on them uh, and winds up in, in her backstory killing herself because these sleepers really so destroy her life. Right, because as it turns out, uh, telepathy in these individuals is a core part of their being. And by effectively castrating themselves yeah they end up in they they end up less than themselves and that really wears on them psychologically and it, it's uh ivanova's mother is is the character that we get as our as our example of that as like here's here's why the sleepers are bad and why this problem is not solved just by having this option 
uh, but it is one of the choices. And it basically, if it's like you don't want to join this organization, uh, and we'll get into why you might not want to join <laughs> this organization, because boy, howdy. Uh, yeah. Like, and you don't want to go to prison. And in this case, this person had a family, right? You didn't want to go to prison. Then you're you're subjected to, well, you don't get to be yourself anymore. Right. That's a really bad option. Well, and, <clears throat> and so obviously the sleepers is the bad option. What's the problem with the side core itself? In terms, well, again, start, and, and we're, for, for those who are listening, we're going, we're doing a little deeper dive into the, the, the plot background here. Um, but it's important because these details form, form I think, the core, uh, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> uh, of, of the questions that this, the show brings up so well. So obviously the sleepers are a bad option. What's the problem with the side core? In order to really cover that, we kind of have to get into what, what the core represents. So right. when you're when you're part of the Psycore, you uh, have you have certain restrictions. Like you have to wear a badge mm -hmm. at all times, signifying you're a member of the core. You have to wear these black gloves on your hands, once again signifying that you're a member of the core. You have to subject yourself to their own internal police, uh, called the Psycops. Yep. Um and you go to these compounds to learn how to control your powers and what what you can and cannot do. Um, so so let's let's break this down for a second. You have to wear some articles of clothing that show people randomly on the street what you are, and that you're part of a group and that you have to, might be a little it, bit scared of. This might sound familiar to people. Right, right. And and you have to go to a physical location where all of those other telepaths are. So if this doesn't sound familiar to anybody, you should be thinking uh, 1930s? Yeah, yellow stars, pink triangles. I mean, I think – and uh, there's, there's a lot of ways in which um, uh, uh, the, 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 this show – Try, tries to very intentionally draw back on things like that historically. There's a couple other plot lines that are very clearly meant to be pre-1930s Germany. And so those illusions I don't think are by any means coincidental. No, no. That I mean, it's – Babylon 5 only knows about one tool, and it's an anvil. Uh, so <laughs> That's very true. So it's it's just a complete anvil. It's like, yes, this is what we're talking about. Right. Uh, so and, – and so, yeah, I mean – they're, the end, the uh, parallel is not quite perfect because these are these people are demonstrably different, right. right? They actually have an ability that other people lack that makes them different from other humans. Um, but I mean, there there's some implications there for well, okay, if uh, somebody is paralyzed from the waist down, do they need to do I need to wear something to signify that I'm more capable than they are? Right. Right, like it's it's that same kind of thing. They're bottom line, they're still a person. So why are we treating them this way? Well, and I think that's a great place to start because, as you said, I think the the show is pretty clear that the psychorc that the psychorc, especially as we see it when the show starts, is really problematic, and the way these telepaths are treated is not great by any means. But it's also coming from, and I, I really like this about the show. It also starts very clearly, starting from the place of why is it that people are so scared. Um, I, 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 you know, one thing I really like about the show is in many ways it's kind of, it seems the opposite of so much of Star Trek, especially early Star Trek, in that Star Trek sort of posits this idea of a, a technological future in which our economic, our social problems have been solved. In Babylon 5, all those social problems are still there. And so we start with ideas of 
you know, telepaths, if they wouldn't be registered, would be really scary in things like, you know, if telepaths were allowed to gamble, if telepaths were allowed to get involved in business conversations where knowing who's lying, who's not, um, you know, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be really helpful to know. And, and, and so I wanted to start there in what, to your mind, like, if, if you found out tomorrow that one one point zero one percent of humanity could read your mind. How would you feel about that? Like, would, would that would, would you want something like this? Would would you think, okay, that's great, they can do that, we don't need anything? What what what's your reaction there? Yeah, I gotta be honest. One of the things that's so compelling about this particular part of the show is that I feel the Psychor is a very realistic way of looking at what we as a species would do. Yeah. I would want some kind of assurances that like people aren't invading my brain and learning what I'm thinking. Like that, that is scary to me. That's a violation to me. I am not okay with that. But at the same time, like, so I, you know, obviously I spoke from a perspective earlier where I'm like, these are people and they, they have rights and we shouldn't have, we shouldn't be like corralling them. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, but at the same time, from my own personal standpoint, I'm intimidated by them. I think yeah. that an organization like the Psychor could see pretty popular support and i'm not even sure that's incorrect but it you know even though it still has these these moral and ethical implications no to be sure and it, it is something that i think the show does a great job exploring it is really this question of what happens when a legitimate fear is exploited you know right it, it, it's actually a theme that the show as you said with sometimes the subtlety of an anvil um, <laughs> but that the, the show keeps coming back to is what do you do when there's a situation where I, we can't just say the fear is completely legitimate. There is some legitimacy to the fear, but the people are but people are maybe exploiting that fear on all sides in in some problematic ways. Um, right. And, and and so kind of going deeper on that because I think I share with you and I um there's an episode from a while back where um myself and a a professor named Greg Haley talked about Professor X of the X Men and, and his mind control. Um because in in the Psychor it's not just that these folks can read minds, it's that at times they can control minds. They can project, project emotion or even do some real serious mind stuff. Um, go yes. ahead. Some some of the most powerful teeps, uh, teep being their slang term for themselves, right. um, uh, are capable of effectively programming people. Uh, we see there are a couple of characters throughout the series, uh, Talia Winters and, and later Michael Garibaldi, who end up getting programmed by a very strong telepath. Uh, that and end up doing like they, they have these sleeper agents and stuff and that that whole idea that you can effectively code a person for behavior is really really terrifying right uh, i share the idea that prof that professor charles xavier is the scariest person in the entire x-men universe right well especially because and i think this is something the show explores well it's one of the only superpower. If we think of telepathy as a potential superpower, you know, to, to sort of cross the line from science fiction to, to comic book stuff, it's the only one that is utterly and completely invisible. If you're really dialed in with someone, you might notice that they're acting differently. But even then, it's so easy to think, oh, they're just more irritable. They're just scared or something like that. Right. We, we have so little ability to know if someone else is controlling our minds. And I, I think that's why... I, like you, I for me, this is one of the scariest possibilities of, you know, if I woke up tomorrow and found out people could fly, I'd be jealous. I'd be a little nervous in some things. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I might, like, decide to guard my windows more in yeah. case one of them wants to burgle that way. But, like, that that's it, right? Yeah. To me, it doesn't fundamentally change things the way it would if I found out tomorrow some people were telepathic. Yeah, and the a big 
problem I have with it is that it's you're, you're right. It's invisible. Uh, the way it's presented, we don't know unless you're actually a telepath yourself. You don't know when somebody else is in your mind right. messing around. And that's, yeah, terrifying. Like, how do you ever know if what you're doing at this particular moment was your choice that you had agency in or whether you've been violated? Right. And I think – remind me because I think um... – the, the, clearly, the idea of the show is that you know, out of that fear came the psychor, and out of that fear, kind of like I said, being exploited or being pushed a little far or a lot far, depending on your perspective. Do, does the show give us? And I know you actually you read some of the books as well. Do they mm-hmm. give us stories of like incidents that happened in the in the days of this world before the psychor, where people were like, "Oh, remember what happened to Billy?" And that's what reminds us, like that that was the story that reminds us why we need the psychor because there was terrible unregulated stuff happening uh not within the television show although i think some lip service is paid to the idea that look if you don't regulate these people that right. you know it, uh, it, the the simplest abuse would be a telepathic gambler right who right. can read the dealer at a blackjack table and clean out the house like is that really that more dangerous than counting cards i don't know yeah. but <laughs> Right. And and even it's just the same kind of idea. They'll kick you out if they think you're making too much money off of them. Right. But but then but but in I know in the uh the birth of the core, uh so one of the books uh in the series that I read on the Psychor, uh they do talk about some instances of uh people in this unregulated environment doing things that are, are really bad and then hate crimes happening against telepaths right so it wasn't just going one way people would be like we think you're a teep and like gunning them down in the streets or whatever um and then saying that it was justifiable because they you know they violated me first they knew what i was thinking right and and i think there is one of the most interesting parts of this because on some level as scary as it is the psychor is presented at least and and with some justification although again with some real problems it's presented as a potential protection, not just for the rest of us, but for telepaths themselves, because Correct. because of that ability of, uh, you know, like, and I think it was just so interesting, and I, I've used the same language, but how easy it is for, you know, the, to see how easily people would start to talk about, you know, we have to protect ourselves from telepaths, we have to protect ourselves from those people. Like, once those phrases start to enter our language, this idea of othering the telepaths, of thinking mm-hmm. of them as non-human which in many ways they are. I mean, they have, have developed a completely new power, but are still human beings. Uh, and you could see how easily this becomes a way of separating people, you know, of creating like an us versus them, which I think mm-hmm. fits so much of the story that winds up happening. Right. And one thing that we also get into is that as much as the core is is problematic, uh, they do take care of their own. Uh, sometimes their way of taking care of their own is, okay, you're a member of the core. We're going to back you if things go wrong, or we're going to come in and, and take care of things for you and clean it up behind the scenes if you screwed up. But other times it's, well, this person's a rogue, right? They're not in prison. They haven't taken the sleepers. They haven't joined the core. So there's t- free telepaths in the wild. And there's this sort of security theater that the psychops who are the police force for the psychor do when they show up and they're in all black and they have very serious looks and they're intimidating to everybody. They're the most, they're only the most powerful telepaths get made psychops. Um, but a lot of what they're, they're doing 
is convincing the normals that it's fine. You don't have to worry about these renegade telepaths. We're going to take care of it. Right. Uh, but then when they actually go in each instance, when they go to talk with these uh, in the show, when they, when they go to talk with the runaways, you always see them at least for the first time saying, Hey, come back. Yeah. Come back, join us. We'll help you. I, I mean, one right? of the, one of the things that I'm, Every time I think of the Psy Corps, the first thing that always comes to mind is the phrase, the Corps is mother, the Corps is father. And mm-hmm. that, that's kind of the... Which is a literal phrase, again, because they only use anvils. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, well, that is said. It's like the motto of the Psy Corps, Corps is right. mother, Corps is father. It, it is the thing that they keep repeating. And, and on some level, it's quite literally true, because in the show, it's very possible to be discovered as a telepath when you're very, very young and then mm-hmm. taken from your family and raised as a child, you know, so that the court is yeah, literally you can't, your mother yeah. and father. Yeah, exactly. So you can't be with your family. So you have to join the core and now you're, yeah, exactly. Raised by the core. Uh, and so this is what a lot of people, the, the people who run away, the people who reject the core and don't want to take the other two bad options. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of what they're rebelling against is that they don't like that choice. They don't like what the core does. Right. Um, well, and to me, I think that gets into what I think is one of the central questions that this raises is, you know, we we have two very different, very conflicting things here. One of which is the rights of the individuals, like the, the, the individual people who are telepaths, to be able to live their lives. You know, this isn't something they chose. This isn't, <clears throat> you know, to, to be able to live healthy, happy, functioning lives without being, you know... Um, judged and hated and without being the victim of crime, of hate crimes and the like. But but how do we balance that with the, the societal needs that you were talking about in terms of the very real fear? Because I think this is, uh, in some ways, I'm not thrilled with the with the answer it raises, but I think what the show does is it, 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 I, it, it gives us that question of how do we balance that? Because I think normally, especially we as Americans who grow up in a society where the individual is praised so much, you know, it's easy to say, you know, human rights, individual rights always trump everything. Mm-hmm. And, may- and maybe that's still the case, but but Babylon Five makes me really ask: in a situation with telepaths, how do we balance that? How do we? How could we balance the needs of the individual with the societal need for protection and for safety, if that's even a thing yeah, that exists? And I and I honestly think that there's no answer to that. There's no there's no solid, non-problematic answer to that, save for a technological solution that protects the people from these these newfound powers that protects average people from these newfound powers that's um you know the, whoever makes it has oversight and it doesn't actually do anything harmful it's just like you know you i could posit something that like shields your mind from these people <laughs> and you'd have to turn it off to let them in if you right. wanted to let that happen right um not the kind of solution that is pursued in season 4 which is actually a, yeah, we're going to distribute this thing into the water supply and all the teeps will die. Right. Right. Nothing like that. That that's way bad. Yeah. And, and that is, that is, a, um, and, because again, the way we keep sort of bouncing back and forth, um, on who is the good guy after a number of seasons in this show where we've pretty much seen the psychor as the enemy, we get to a point in season four where one of our main sort of antagonists, their goal is to kill all the telepaths or at least to keep the telepaths, so poisoned as that they have to be controlled. Right, right. He he's his what he's making, what Mr. Edgar's is making is a drug that uh once help has have it, they'll need a steady supply of antidote from his corporation to not die 
and then he will be able to control them. And then like telepaths will once again be under the control of non-telepaths. Right. Uh, which, so that, that's an interesting thing in of itself because the Psychor, as I mentioned earlier, was created because the, the idea was we got to make sure that these people are under control, but it's the telepaths regulating themselves. And at that point, at the point that we step into the universe at the start of the show, the psychors already turned that into a, okay, if we're telepaths, we're responsible for policing our own people, but we get to make these rules. Right. And we've, you've allowed us to band together and train each other up and make each other better at what we do. So we're going to, we're going to take this whole system where you corralled us into one spot You've made us wear these things to signify who and what we are. And we're going to take that and we're going to take our power back. Yeah. And now you're going to fear our entire organization. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I, I think you're exactly right. I think that becomes such an uh, – to, to me, one of my favorite elements of this story is the way in which the Psychor created something to limit telepaths. And, and we are told so often how it limit telepaths. It, it winds up having, being this double-edged sword because now not only have you told all the telepaths you're going to self-regulate but by these very strict rules, but also you need to constantly only be with each other, constantly reminding yourselves and, and each other of how much everyone else hates you and that it's us against them. Like in mm -hmm. some ways, I think one of the things that makes the, the Psycor sto story so tragic is that it's not only does it become by fostering the fear – that the non-telepathic people fall into that sense of us versus them, but the telepaths wind up doing it just as much, you know, and, yeah. and just the division of we are different and thus therefore the enemy is, is just throughout both sides. Yeah, and in a rare subtle moment on the show, one of the things I really love is how they communicate that through slang. Mm. The telepaths have a term for non-telepaths, and it's mundanes. Yeah. Like, they have a slur for people who aren't them, and it's it's basically saying, well, these people are they're they're common, they're typical, they're boring. You, you know, it's funny. This is one. <clears throat> uh, Jacob and I had talked a lot about ideas we wanted to to go into for the show, and now I'm going to throw you a curveball with one I I hadn't sure. thought of, but that is so relevant to this. Have you read the Harry Potter books? Oh yeah, I love the Harry Potter books. Because as you're saying that, what immediately comes to mind is Muggles. Muggles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because it, and it's that same idea of think of. They use that word to define people as lesser. Muggles right. and mudbloods, actually. Uh, yeah. One of them is only used by the racists, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, the more I think about it, the more I think in a lot of ways, anyone who's trying to better understand the telepaths, thinking a lot about the Harry Potter world is a very mm -hmm. good um, model for it, especially in that the tension that's happening in the Harry Potter books between should we be trying to, you know, take the Ron Weasley approach and, and integrate ourselves into humanity... Versus, should we really understand that we are better than humanity and higher than humanity? Um, the the, you know, the the Voldemort approach that that really is a tension that's in the in the um, core itself. Yeah, imagine a universe where the telepaths of the core uh, complete this campaign where they erase the memory of telepathy from all of the mundanes, right? And then we have the Harry Potter universe. We have wizards and muggles, right? And as long as they keep themselves secret, nobody's any the wiser. That's actually even more terrifying. Yeah. No, I, I can definitely see that. I think that's a um, it, it it it's an important way to to think about this in terms of the um that 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 division between the two. 
Right. And they make it very clear there are very few people who actually have that sort of like mind erasering ability. So it's like a logistical problem. They can't actually do that. But but just the thought that it's out there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, especially because, yeah. as we said, everything with a side core, we can't see it. Um, yep. So so to your mind, where <laughs> on some level we've already gotten into this, but but going deeper, it, it, if we were to start with the idea that that some level of something is needed you know that that i i think <clears throat> the self the self-regulation be, it to me is such a difference than other people regulating but, mm-hmm. but if you start with the idea that some kind of a psychor w- would be necessary even if it's a, a much more scaled back one in, in this world where does the psychor go wrong what 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 ab- it is it inevitable that the psychor becomes the kind of thing it becomes in the show or, or could there have been a different direction and this might just be my uh, my cynicism coming through but i think that where the psychor ended up is exactly where it would end up in in reality if this were to really happen, uh, because either they're so accepted in society that none of them ever feel the need to you know, power game up each other to the point where they can make a power play, or those people end up in power because there are problems they can highlight. Right. Right. Um, and realistically, I don't think I don't think it's real reasonable to think that humans are going to sit there and go, oh yeah, there's just some people who I might encounter who can read my mind, and I'm cool with that. Right. There's, uh, there's definitely going to be some violence. There's going to be some violence against those individuals, and that's going to breed this system. One one thing that's important to understand is that in the show it gets to the point where the Psychor actually has become a major political force and that there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a whole plot line with a corrupt Earth government and that Psychor has quite a lot to do with that and, and things like that. Um, and, and I hear you about the inevitability. Um, could, that, could that have been – like what, what could is, – is there a better vision of it that could have, could have been imagined? Uh, I could – I mean obviously in hypothetical land, I can envision all kinds of dream scenarios, but I think that – a singular organization that all the telepaths belong to is probably not the right approach mm-hmm. that what you'd want to do is have a kind of checks and balance system where you have multiple organizations that have oversight over each other so that no one entity can become too corrupt unless they're all colluding with each other. Right. Uh, and then it becomes slightly more difficult and then you're not corralling people into like, so say there was an organization for telepaths who um, don't want to use their power for you – know, they don't want to be employed with their power, and they, they're not going to use it day to day. And then another one to make sure that those people keep to that, and then still a third one that makes sure that those cops aren't corrupt and yeah. that the – you know and, and then it, obviously it's just like you know I chose three because <laughs> three is a convenient number, but right. like – I, I'm even then I you know there's there's a possibility, but at least you wouldn't have all of the power consolidated into one place. Right. Well, and, and I think that 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 becomes an important aspect because not only is this about the the power all being consolidated in one place, but but one of the things that's set up in this world is there's no such thing as a person with telepathic powers. There is a telepath. Like mm-hmm. your telep- telepathic powers becomes the the end all be all of everything that you are as a person. Um, and I think, to me, this is one of the things that, that is so problematic about what happens in the show, is that it, it builds a world where if you have this telepathic ability, you know, 
I might be an athlete and a person who loves science and a person who loves this particular kind of music. And I'm talking to someone who shares all of those things about me. But the fact that I'm a telepath and they are not means that we are fundamentally different people as the world sees it. And whereas I and another telepath who hates sports and who hates the kind of music I do and who hates the other things I do, if they're a telepath and I'm a telepath, the way the court is set up, that person and I are supposed to have so much more in common. Um, mm-hmm. and, and maybe that's inevitable, but I feel like that – to me, I think when, when you set up a world in which that one aspect of a person's uh, identity utterly defines who they are, it, it becomes inevitable that you're going to have this kind of conflict. Right, and that's that's really problematic for for multiple reasons, right? Just because I'm particularly good at at uh, math, let's say, uh, just to pull pull something out of my hat, doesn't mean that I need to go to math camp and join with all the other math people, and that's the most important thing about me. Now, this is an ability that, like, either you have it or you don't, right? It's it's a it's a switch, or at least we're we're presented it as a either you have the telepathic gene or you don't. Right, it's a binary. Right. Right. Um, and if you don't, you can never, ever, ever develop it. So we don't – do we have an analog right, like that in our real world? I'm, I'm struggling to think of one, but that could just be the limitations of my own thought process. I, I mean I, – <clears throat> excuse me. I don't really think so, and I think this is um... – Privilege, yeah, I, but but even <laughs> that's that gets into a whole other conversation. Yeah, I mean, privilege is something that is. I, I think we often think of it as very binary, and in some ways it is, but in other ways it's incredibly fluid. You know, for myself, that's true. For yeah. myself as a person who is um, straight, white, heterosexual, cisgendered, and a number of other things, um, I, I have always had those privileges. I had able-bodied privilege for for the first twenty-one years of my life until I had a terrible accident. And now uh, I'm disabled with a prosthetic leg. Right. You know, so I th- I, I don't think that there's there's a fluidity there. Um, but but I think you're right. I don't think there's an analog, and I think this is something that both shows like this, like Babylon Five, but also um, like the the X Men properties or or what's happening in in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with the, the the Civil War idea. On the one hand, these things are an interesting analog for the idea of human difference, but there's also a fundamental difference in that, as you said, like no matter how much racism was built on the idea that black people are different, they're really not. You know, anti-Semitism right. is based on the idea of Jews having this great financial power. Trust me, I have Jewish family. It's really not true. Um, <laughs> but but uh, if, if it was, I wouldn't still be paying for college 20 years later. Right. But, um, but, but what I think that in, in this world, as you said, as much as we are asked as the audience to be critical of the prejudice and the fear that telepaths face – there is the reality that telepaths do have a power that no other sort of racial prejudice or, or religious prejudice has ever actually been grounded in before. Right. And the show – actually, I feel in a lot of ways skirts that issue up until that, that fourth season plotline because the prejudice that we're often seeing telepaths face is not from from the normals, from, from the, the non-telepaths, but rather from the psychor itself. Right. Because we are uh, – at, at the point in history that we jump in, uh, there are a bunch of people who are rejecting the core. They see it as as corrupt and and problematic. This this whole political power thing is bad. They don't like what that they're being effectively brainwashed so that other people are being brainwashed. They don't like what happens to people that the psychops hunt down that don't accept the prison or – or mm-hmm. sleepers options uh, because they're they're summarily executed and there's no trial. Uh, so 
there, there are problems. So the, these people rebel against that, and those are our perspective characters a lot of the time. Those are our protagonists. Right. Are the people who are rejecting the core, which, again, started as a effectively a means of state-sponsored discrimination against telepaths. Right. Yeah, I, I think, right? as you said, the, the, one of the key elements of the story is the way that the core has become, in many ways, the very thing it was meant to stop. You know, the, yep. the core was a state-sponsored idea of we want to limit these people's power. And instead, you said, we hate you all that we're going to ask you all to go and be in that other group over there. And by the way, that's going to allow you to pull all of your power while we've also given you this amazing amount of resentment and right. and also fear. You know, I, I was saying that um, so much of this story seems driven by humanity's fear of telepaths. But I think the flip side of that is that what then becomes a, a driving force of the psi core itself is their fear of humanity's fear of them, you know, because right. there is this history of the hate crimes and stuff like that. Right. And they're like where we jump in, the core has the telepaths through the psi core are taking their power back. Right. And we're presented that as carte blanche, a bad thing. The show never actually shows us a scenario where, where we're meant to think that this is good. And I think that's actually a, a bit of a problem because as much as, you know, as we discussed, this is really scary. Uh, these powers are really scary. The fact that uh, this organization, which was born out of, of discrimination and, and hate, became this thing where they're, they're banding together and effectively celebrating their difference. Um, it, perhaps we can take qualms with the way that they're celebrating it, but they don't say that they say the core is bad right i mean to put it in terms of uh, another story that i think you and i both have a love of where i i think sometimes we might not see it quite the way the author does do you think i'm right in saying that magneto would probably think the psychor is dead on in what they're doing absolutely magneto i feel what's funny is that i think that um the psychor and we had this conversation a bit offline but the psychor is xavier's school but it's run by Magneto. Yeah. It, it's as if Magneto had taken over Xavier's school. Exactly. Exactly. Because they're, uh, they were founded with the principle of let's limit our power, let's, let's show people that we're not anything to be afraid of. But actually, they're going to fear us regardless, so let's use that. Yeah, and I, I when I look at the Psycor especially, one of the phrases that comes to my mind a lot is the, the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. I don't know if you've heard mm -hmm. that a lot, but it, it, you know, because it's that idea of that, that, that those who have been kicked, those who have been oppressed often wind up, you know, that that can lead to a desire to sort of do that again yourself. Um, uh, and, and that can, again, be looked in a problematic way, but and I, the way I just phrased it sounds problematic, but also that, that, that there is an empowerment of be, uh, not in the hurting the others, but in binding together to get the power to, to not, um, to not be hurt anymore. Um, and, and I want to use that to jump into kind of a, a, a last big topic we can talk about, uh, which I know one of your favorite characters of Bester, because Bester, I mm -hmm. think, is the one time he's presented as kind of like a, an antagonist who we love to hate, but we at least get some sense of his his perspective. Uh, he is one of the Psycops, one of the leaders of the um, of the Psycor. Tell us a little bit about, about Bester and sort of where he falls into this all these ethical conversations. Uh, so Bester is the character that we are given that. He's, he epitomizes everything that's wrong with the psychor to the audience. This is the writer saying, here, here's a personification of what is wrong with the psychor. Here's Alfred Bester. Um, 
What's interesting about this character is that his motivations are all centered in this idea that his people are the people that matter. And he makes a clear distinction between telepaths, his people, and non-telepaths, not his people. And he is willing to break every single rule regarding the use of his own powers, regarding the use of his authority, regarding when he can discharge his firearm in order to advance his idea and his agenda that telepaths should be the ones leading the human race. It's clearly there are, you know, scary, scary implications with this character, but his it's, it's difficult to, to describe cleanly, but we see moments with Bester that sort of signify to us that, yeah, even though he's this personification of this very bad thing, TM, he's still a person. Uh, there's this whole uh, plot line in, is it season three? Yeah, it's season three where they discover that uh, telepaths from Earth are being shipped off to this alien race, the Shadows, for use as living CPUs for their for their fighting ships. Right. Uh, because their fighting ships need a need a, a living body as their power core, uh, and that makes them susceptible to telepathy. But if you put telepaths in there then they can fight against it. And Bester finds out about this and he loses his goddamn mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the people that one of the people that was shipped off that he's actually trying to, the reason why he's trying to hunt this down personally going outside of his uh, authority and outside of the core is somebody that he loved. Yeah. Uh, and it was actually a, a rogue telepath that he loved that he found out got, got captured but didn't go to any of the prisons did like couldn't find out what happened to them after that fact. And if it, it's, there's this very humanizing moment where he's talking with the, cause they, they managed to, to recapture the bodies of these people right. that are all cryogenically frozen. And what the, what the uh, aliens have done to them, what the shadows have done to them has made them go just a little bit mad. <laughs> um, <laughs> just slightly mad. Uh-huh. Um, and he, so he's talking to this wall of cryogenic freezing units, one of which uh, houses this person that he loves. And he talks through, you know, why he start, why, why he's out there, what he's doing, what he's trying to accomplish. And then he just has this moment where he says, I miss you. Yeah. And like, I actually feel for the guy, and I'm not supposed to, but I do. See, well, and actually, I, I disagree with you a little bit there, because I think we are supposed to see him as, like, I've talked in, a, in this show before, on this podcast before about, to me, the, the difference between the, the villain whose motives you can understand versus the mustache twirler, you know? To me, I, I think we are supposed to see Bester as an antagonist, but antagonist with whom we can be very sympathetic, because, right. you know, it, it, it's it's, to me... This isn't – to me, it, it, even if you see him as evil, which I'm not even sure I would, but he's definitely lawful evil, not chaotic. You know, He has a definite ethical system, and his ethical system is the self-preservation of his people. Um, and it's mm-hmm. – you, you're right. I think we are, we are presented that as that he's willing to preserve his people as opposed to us. And the, the writer sort of assumes that we as humanity think of ourselves as the non-teeps, and that, and that can be problematic. Right. But but I do think we are supposed to see him as deeply sympathetic in that he's not someone who's out for, you know, 
uh, personal gain. He's not out for greed. He's not out for power. What he well he he's out for well he is out for power, but it's toward it's to the, a single end. Right. right? It's to it, it's for his people. And what's funny is that's a recurring theme for my people. That statement is a recurring theme in Babylon Five as a show. Right. I mean, in that way. He's very much the Magneto. He is, I think, very much the specific Magneto. And that Magneto has that same, I want power because if I have power, if other people have the power, they can use it against me and my people. Right. And and like Magneto, Bester does some incredibly unethical, unconscionable things. Uh, the worst of which being what he does to Michael Garibaldi. Right. Where he uh, completely reprograms a person to betray all of their friends and go rogue, go off on their own because he's gotten wind of this telepath virus that William Edgars is making. And he wants to make sure that he has an inside person. And Garibaldi's perfect for that because he's always been suspicious of the core. And oh, God. Right. Like, <laughs> the, it's, it's such a great, like, villain plot mm-hmm. that, that he's devised. But it, what he does, I feel, is unforgivable, and it it messes with Garibaldi well past the point where he. Well, and let let, let me let me push that a little bit because I think this gets to some really interesting questions, because I I hear what you're saying about it's unforgivable. He also, in so doing, winds up able to prevent a a quite literal genocide. Yes, and that is true. He he violates a person, uh, considerably, to prevent the genocide of an entire subspecies right and 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 so to i don't want to go too you i don't want to get too utilitarian here now that i can pronounce that thank you but does that fact make it and i'm not saying it does but i'm saying does that does that push it all on the idea of this being an unforgivable act do the ends justify the means are we having that discussion i mean we can act as though that's never a question that's ever worth bringing up or, right. or, or is it? The... Or we could bring it up literally every time it comes up. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I- I'm with you on the second, on the latter. I feel like every single time we should talk about it. Right. Uh, and in this case, <sighs> yes, doesn't mean we can forgive him. Right. And so just because, just because, I feel as though what he did, because it had the like, it was his way of securing an end result that meant his people weren't effectively wiped out. It's justifiable but that's not the same thing as moral well and so here here's the reason why i'm pushing on this is because something is occurring to me as we're talking and i i honestly don't know if the writers did this intentionally but i feel like there's a really interesting parallel here in that the psi core was created with the idea of we are going to violate the rights of some individuals in order to protect the society uh-huh. And, and now Bester, in order to... Is doing exactly that. Exactly. And and I think... Mm-hmm. So first of all, I, I don't even... Whether or not that's intentional, like, what what's your take on that in terms of, like, is that because maybe that isn't a, a morally problematic thing? Or is it because it's deeply morally problematic and it's taught Bester to do exactly that? Like, what what's going on with that parallel Ooh. There? Ooh. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure I'm willing to give the writers that much credit, but... One of the things I like about Babylon 5 is if you actually dive deep into it, you come up with things like this. And I think that's a really good thought that Bester possibly has been programmed by the way he was treated by the the Psychor itself to believe that what he is doing right now is right. Now, now, I I just want to interrupt. I think we should be clear because 
we are talking about a world in which literal programming <laughs> oh, yeah, is possible. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't no, no, so social programming, right, social okay. programming. Right? Yeah, yeah, no, no. He he was he he has not had his uh, mind altered in any way. Right. Uh, but yeah, so and, and you can actually see this in because after this whole thing goes down uh, and his team comes in and, and wipes out uh, Edgar's and, and seizes control of the virus. Um, he has a sit down chat with Garibaldi because mm-hmm. Garibaldi's program is complete and he's just sitting there in a semi comatose state while Bester's explaining to him what just happened. And he sits there and, and one of the, a phrase that exits his mouth is I'm not a monster. Yeah. And I feel like he genuinely believes that because he's sitting – he brings it up in, in his statement of, so I've been debating what I'm going to do with you. Do I return you to normal and, and let you lead the rest of your life or do I just sit you here comatose because, you know, I don't really like you that much? Right. Because Gar- Garibaldi, as you, as you said, Garibaldi is someone who has been deep – I mean he is one of those people who has a strong hate of the, of the yep. Psychor and the telepaths. Yeah, he he's racist against telepaths. I think it's completely fair to say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, it is presented to us as a bad thing, uh, and which that is a credit to the writers that that Garibaldi has this prejudice. Right. Um. So. Well, I, uh, I think that question that he asks is it, it, you're right is such an interesting one because I'll, I'll start with saying, I don't think anybody ever says to someone else, "I'm not a monster," unless on some level they're saying it to themselves. <laughs> Like, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like, I, I, I really believe this, and that's why I'm going to say it out yeah, loud. Yeah, I, I have never told someone I'm not a dolphin because there is no part of me that worries that I'm a dolphin or that other people think I'm a dolphin. Um, but if you, <laughs> right. if on some level you, you do fear that you're a monster, then, then it's important for you to convince others and to convince yourselves. And I think, like you said, I don't know if it was the intention of the writer or not, because. Um, I, I do agree with you at least somewhat that the, that they do present the telepaths just as a bad thing. Uh, the the core is a bad thing instead of recognizing the telepaths getting their own power as having a lot of value. But I do think that on, whether intentional or not, I don't think it's accidental that we have this sort of re- repeating of a pattern, you know, of by right. teaching the telepaths that it is okay to really drastically limit the rights of the individuals for a societal good – Right, for the greater good. Yeah, exactly. Now, well, now the telepaths are doing the exact same thing. Right. Well, in, in this case, it's it's Bester doing the exact same thing. But, like, again, he's the personification of the Psychor. Right. So that's – he he's our character that we're given so that we have somebody to point to and say that that's the problem. But he's doing the exact same thing uh, and using effectively the same logic to justify his actions. It's just that rather than um, – an institution that brainwashes people socially uh, because the psych does do this. Mm-hmm. They, they're, they educate people. There are re-education camps yep. for people who uh, walked away from the core and they're trying to, to reintegrate them. Um, and, you know, he's just, he's cutting out the middleman and going, well, I don't have to do, I don't have to do the hard brainwashing. I can just poke at the buttons. Right. Uh, again, that, that, that great subtlety that the show is known for, which is funny because <laughs> in, in some other parts, and I, cause I don't want to give the wrong impression, and, and I, I, I think you and I are going to do a couple of shows uh, over time on, on Babylon 5, and at some point we're going to dive into my two, and I think two of your favorite characters, Londo Malari and, and Jakar, 
who are in two of the most it, it it baffles me sometimes in the show because those two characters are so incredibly subtle and dynamic and nuanced and so much of the rest of the show isn't um to, yeah. to the point where sometimes i wonder if it was written by different writers but but on on this level of the psychor i do think there's that nuance of you know trying to see deeper and deeper that that finding who is the bad guy and who is the good guy is a much more complicated question than we might think at first right and there's a, there's that point in the series where uh, the uh, our principal protagonists start actually working with Bester because of this thing that they found out. And so, like, here's a character that prior to this point has been given to us as unequivocally, this is a bad guy. He has done bad things. He is a bad man. Right. Uh, and now he's our ally. Right. So, yeah, I think that's intentional. And that's something that, that uh, you can give the show credit for is that there's these... There's this idea, and I actually really like this about uh, about Babylon Five, is that there's this idea that nobody is, no single character, is just utterly and completely terrible. Mm-hmm. There's always there's always situations where their humanity, for lack of a better way of putting it, obviously the centaurity for for <laughs> the centauri, like right, where. where we're we're shown that they're a person and that they're permitted to have this um these humanizing moments right uh which getting to uh, your discussion about things like the first avengers movie uh basically every single villain we are given in babylon 5 has something resembling one of those humanizing moments right. that i really like that nothing nobody's completely a monster yeah you don't ever have the pure mustache twirler everybody has some some element of this is their motivation and and if you were to see the world only through their eyes you could kind of understand it well i think morting comes very close to pure mustache twirler okay yeah that that's legitimate (laughs) that he's a character who's the uh representative of the shadows one of the forces in in, uh and uh, for anyone who thinks that that name sounds very anvily, um, it 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 it, it, <laughs> it is it, it is, but it also isn't, and that's one of the things I think right. the show does well. And again, that's a whole other discussion. Um, yeah. So so we uh, we've gone on it about an hour, and I want I don't want to take you too long, but kind of if you start to wrap up, um, what are what are other elements of the Psycor story that you think are really really kind of stick with you as as questions that you find yourself still thinking about? You know, it literally twenty years after we first got to watch this television show. Yeah. So. One of the things I find uh, – this circles us all the way back to the beginning where we talked about uh, would, would the psychor happen. One of the things I find so compelling about this storyline is that I think it's – from start to finish, it's very realistic for what would happen, how we would react as a species, what the result of that would be, and how that would progress over time up to and including – people within that the the system of the psychor rebelling against the psychor and going to war with each other uh which happens um between series so after after season 5 of Babylon 5 uh and before the the spin-off show Crusade which had a single season uh there is a war and it's a telepath war, but it's not a like people were always talking about the telepath war, something that would happen between uh, the normals, the mundanes and the telepaths. Um, but actually, it's between telepaths and other telepaths. 
and they make a new Psychor, and it's not really much better. Right. But it's it's starting over, so it doesn't start from this uh, consolidated power base thing, and so it's very cyclical. Um, well, and I and I just I, I haven't I haven't seen that, and but 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 is it fair to draw the analog of because um, as you're talking about that, I'm again thinking immediately of X Men in that the 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 story of X Men isn't a really a war of mutants versus humans it's a war between two different groups of mutants over how to relate yeah. to the humans yeah and the fact that we're presented this as a as a subplot to this show mm -hmm. uh whereas this is a lot of this is happening behind the scenes and we only get this in a couple of episodes but it's this really deep topic i actually it's one of the reasons i read the the series of three books on the psychor and the second and third book actually just are about the character of Bester. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, so the, the first book is about the birth of the core, and then the second book is Bester's rise to power, and the third book is what happens to Bester after the events of the series. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it's it's great. <laughs> uh, it's it's really great. He uh, Spoilers, he doesn't die. Yeah, not, not um, surprising. He's, he's a, a pretty a tough, tough, tough character that I, you know, he, he's... Uh, it's, it's not that he's not you know presented a situation where he could die but it, it, do you mind if i spoil it go ahead uh so the the climactic scene at the end of the third book is garibaldi has finally managed to track bester down after getting the block that bester put in his mind removed mm -hmm. so garibaldi can do violence against bester again beats him within an inch of his life and decides decides not to kill him decides that even bester can be corrected oh wow and I was like, like, especially given the torture, the psychological, like, this is what drove Garibaldi, a recovering alcoholic, back to drinking was this event. Mm -hmm. Like, he was doing so well, and then this happened. Uh, and to see him, yeah, did, yeah, great story. It's really well written. Um, I highly recommend it if you're into these. If you're into the show. And I, and I, I would just add, uh, add as kind of a last coda to all this, um, for anyone who's thinking about why... For me, at least, one of the reasons why this character always struck me so powerfully is um, it, he's played by a wonderful actor just to begin with, but this very mm -hmm. manipulative, always smartest guy in the room, always the one who's two steps ahead of you, is played by Walter Koenig, the guy who played Chekhov in the original Star uh, Trek. <laughs> Koenig. Uh, Koenig, sorry, uh, thank German, you. German last name, but yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah he, he, play, he played Pavel Chekhov in, in Star Trek, and... It's so interesting because the characters are nothing alike. Uh, it really speaks to Walter Koenig's ability as a character actor. Um, oh, yeah. Because – Yeah. Go, go I on. I mean to me, he's the exact opposite because Koenig is uh, – yeah. um, Chekhov is presented in the show as the, the wide-eyed the wide innocent, you know? And this is yep. – I have to imagine on some level the writers were intentionally playing with that of let's see how far from that we can go. <laughs> Well, funnily enough, uh, Koenig was originally supposed to play a different recurring character uh, and had a scheduling conflict and couldn't do it. And so they wrote the character of Bester for him. So the fact that it was serendipity oh, wow. made this happen was, yeah, uh, could not have worked out better. Uh, unlike what happened with the Jeffrey Sinclair plotline, but that's a whole other story yeah. for another day. <laughs> Let, um, j j just in summary, we'll just say that Babylon 5 is – it was one of the first shows where they really attempted – I mean when they, when they started to shoot episode one, the writer had in his idea what the last episode of season five would be like. 
And to some extent, his vision came true. But to some extent, it's also a study in what happens when a writer has to go up against the realities of budgets and actors' schedules and actors' medical conditions and just, you know, all the all the things like that. And I, I do sometimes remember that as good as a show that I think Babylon 5 is, and as, as critical as we are of it, I, 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 it is still one of my absolute favorite shows, um, although it is very dated in some ways. I'm, I always sort of wonder what would this show have been like in the ideal world where he had all the actors he wanted, he had all the money he needed, and he didn't have the, the pressures that he had that wound up changing a lot of character stuff. Yeah, the, the principal story actually changed, changes considerably, and I'd love to talk with you further about the Babylon 5 that could have been. To be sure. Uh, but but that's a topic, I think, for another day. Definitely. Well, uh, well, Jacob, thank you so much for being a part of this. As I said, I, I would love to get you back on. Um, and for right now, for our listeners who want to um, be able to follow you more, um, talk to you about your ideas of the show or other things, um, how can people find you? How can people find some of your, reading, uh, your writings? So – in general, I'm an internet hermit. Okay. I'm not on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, I do most of my involvement with the internet at large and, and uh, like all of my writing at this point uh, is in the Magic the Gathering Judge program. I write f- occasionally for The Feedback Loop, which is a uh, blog talking about how we give each other feedback uh, as, as people uh, and as colleagues and, you know, best practices and things to watch out for. Uh, I've actually gotten really into it, read some books on the subject, uh, continue to read and, and educate myself. And then I've, I've written a couple of things about the applications of empathy in providing feedback to other people, mm. you know? Um, and then there's another, uh, project that I'm involved in called judge of the week, where we celebrate a uh, different judge every week, a different magic gathering judge. Uh, those they're just featured articles that we do. Uh, they're really cool. They're little interviews. Um, I manage that project. I don't do a ton of writing for it, but so, so you don't see any of my writing there. I don't have anything else at present that I want to promote. Although if you get me on, uh, more times, maybe I'll have to start <laughs> doing some writing. Sounds good. You know, in my infinite free time. I, I mean, we don't we don't just want people to come on the show as a way to promote their writings, but certainly we want just want to give them that chance as a way to thank you uh, as one of our guests. Um, for everyone else who's listening, um, what are your thoughts on this? Um, have you seen Babylon Five, and if so, what's your take on it and this sci for sci sci core question? Um, do you want to give me feedback about my, my my stumbling over words? Go for that too. Um, what what if you haven't seen it? What's your thoughts on this conversation? You know, if humanity tomorrow discovered that there was telepathy or some other power like that, how would you want us to respond? How, you know, I think it's very easy for us to say, well, of course, let all people be people. And I, I would want us to stick to that. But but are there things you would be afraid of? Are there things you'd want to see happen either as self-regulation or as outside regulation to deal with that? Um, what's your take on these questions? Um, you can follow us um, by giving us feedback uh, at Twitter at Superhero Ethics um, by the same name, Superhero Ethics on Facebook. You can write to us at SuperheroEthics at gmail.com. Um, if you want to write some very critical stuff, uh, maybe read uh, Jacob's blog, The Feedback Loop, first. And, and, and you know, and, and think about oh, that a little on. bit. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not my blog. Okay. I write for it, but it is not my blog. I want to make that very clear. It was founded by a gentleman who I respect very deeply by the name of Ricky Hayashi. Uh, currently managed by Eric Dustin Brown. Awesome. Okay. Well, my apologies there, but um, um, it's fine. <laughs> I just didn't want to take credit where credit wasn't due. Uh, again, we might we might start bad feedback, which we're not looking for. Um, right. but for any of these things, um, you'll be able to find links to Jacob's stuff. 
Uh, you can find links to all the stuff that we do here at Superhero Ethics. Uh, let us know what you think. Join the conversation. More than anything else, that's why I do this podcast, and I think that's why people like Jacob love to be a part of it, is these are topics that we love to sit and discuss for hours, and we want to hear your thoughts on them too. So thank you guys for listening. Thanks for being a part of this conversation. Drop us a line. Tell us what you're thinking, and have a great day. Bye-bye. So earlier when you said, I'm not a dolphin, I was really trying to figure out if you said that on porpoise. Ah, uh, well done. Well done. <laughs>